Would you turn in the book of Acts to chapter 3 as we do continue our series? Uh, today, uh, the message will be on the idea of um, a name and that thought. What, what is in a name? Is it really important? Well, I think you're all familiar with the words, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, correct? That is said to have been coined by William Shakespeare in the play Romeo and Juliet. When Juliet, in reference to the family name of Romeo, says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Of course, she's speaking about Romeo's family name and the fact that uh, the Capulets and Montagues hated each other. But she's thinking, why should we be apart because of a name? And, of course, I get that. But the idea does imply from Shakespeare that uh, it is his belief that a name means very little. And I will take issue with that thought today because I think in so many cases, a name means everything. Think about all the thought that young parents put into naming their precious newborns. Mother's Day, we had 18 new babies in this past year, and we celebrated uh, families on Mother's Day. And think of all the precious names and the thought that went into it. Sometimes it's because uh, someone likes a name. Sometimes it's because they like a person and name that child after someone. Uh, that, that is uh, what happened in our, our family, the way we named our children, and our grandchildren were named, and it has great significance to their names. My first granddaughter is named Jana Rose, and Jana is after my wife Janet, but it honors Janet's grandmother because she had a broken accent, and she couldn't say Janet. She said, Jana Rose is my mom. And so Jana Rose is a very special name to us. Leah Marie, my second granddaughter, um, a biblical name. And Marie is Jennifer's middle name. And so great significance. Our third granddaughter, Bella Vida. My mother-in-law, Janice's mom, was Vida. We wanted to honor her. And Bella Vida is a beautiful life. And indeed, it is. And so there's significance behind the names we give to our children, and, and it means so much to us. Uh, sometimes it's, it's tradition that you have in a family, like the Italians. Italians have a tradition that we, uh, we name, or they did in times past, they named the first son, if you have a son, after the father's father. You name the second son after the mother's father. And then the third son, if you have a third son, would be after the father. Well, lo and behold, I'm the third son of Rosario Salvatore Graziano. <laughs> and you're thinking, wait a minute, why aren't you Pastor Rosario? And before you get any ideas about that, think again. Well, my dad didn't like the name he had to carry through life. And he didn't want to burden me with that name. And so they began talking as parents, and when I was born, uh, my dad recommended the name Robert 
because he had worked with somebody, and he loved the name, and he said, that would make a great name. Let's name him Robert. My mom loved the name Dennis. There was an old talk show host named Dennis James many years ago, and so she wanted Dennis, and they're going back and forth, and the doctor says, I have to put something down on the birth certificate, and they could not arrive at a decision. So that brought about the doctor naming me. He says, look, I'll settle it. He's Robert Dennis, and there you have it. So it comes about in different ways, no question about that. And you uh, probably go through some similar process of naming your children, and, and it does have great significance. In the case about text today, a name is everything. When you think of the name of Jesus, my friends, there is salvation in that name. If you're saved today, if you've been born again, if you're heaven bound, it's because of the name of Jesus and your faith in him. I love the fact that we can call on Jesus and recognize how important he is and that name, what it represents. Not only does it bring salvation, but there's power in the name of Jesus. When we get together with folks that are hurting, some are sick, and we come alongside and we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, heal this person if it be your will. And we can call upon the name and power of Jesus Christ when we do that. So many of you have experienced difficult circumstances, and we come alongside you and we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, if it be your will, change this circumstance in their life, what they're facing. What is so difficult for them at this time? And that might raise the question of, well, sometimes when you pray in his name and you ask God to heal or change a circumstance, that doesn't always happen. Why is that? And that's a good question, and there may be many answers to that question, and and a great discussion could take place. But I'll sum it up with this. God knows best. God knows what we need in our lives. And ultimately, whether he heals or changes a circumstance or leaves you in the position that you are, he does it for your good and mine and for his glory. And we need to rest in that. Did he change Paul's circumstance? Did he heal him? Sometimes God has something better than a healing or a change in circumstances, as he did for Paul. He told Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, you know the story. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He went to the Lord three times. And sometimes when when we think, hey, I'm serving the Lord, I'm doing everything I can do, certainly this is a small thing for God to change. And yet he didn't change Paul's difficulty. What was the result of that when Paul became aware of the fact that God's strength is made perfect in weakness? Well, he says in verse 9, Therefore most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can you grasp that this morning when we're asking Jesus to heal or change his circumstances? Is it what is in God's will? 
The fact is, the miracle we read about in chapter 3 couldn't happen except in the power and name of Jesus. And if we're going to offer hope to a world that needs hope desperately, we need to let them know there is hope. And his name is Jesus. Think about the many people you know that are dealing with anxiety, struggling, can't sleep, going through all kinds of circumstances in their life. They need a word of hope. They need a word of comfort. There are some, maybe even here today, that are looking to God for the first time or the first time in a long time. They need to know there's power in the name of Jesus and there's salvation in his name. So we have an opportunity to be that salt, that light that Jesus calls us to be. When you think about it, we're just debtors, beggars, all needing something that we ourselves cannot do for ourselves. And it's found in the name of Jesus. Are you telling others? Are you letting them know there's hope for you? Are you happy and thankful for the salvation you enjoy in Christ? How often do you think about, wow, I'm heaven bound. No matter what happens to me this week, if I leave this earth, I'll be in the presence of God. That should be a great comfort to you today. The world carries the pressure and guilt of sin. Strained relationships, different things going on. Are you thankful for forgiveness? It came in the name of Jesus and because of his sacrifice on our behalf. The healing we experience, the comfort that we feel, the wisdom that we ask God for when we're making decisions for our families. It's because of Jesus Christ and all that comes through that name. So in our text this morning, found in chapter 3, follow along in verse 11 as we look at the word of God today. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John... All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And killed the Prince of Life. Whom God raised from the dead. Of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name. Has made this man strong. Whom you see and know. Yes the faith which comes through him. Has given him this perfect soundness. In the presence of you all. So the book of Acts is exactly that. It's recording what the uh, apostles did following that time in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when it did, it changed their lives. Doesn't it ever amaze you as you read through the Gospels and you see the timidness of the apostles and and, uh, them running when Jesus was captured and even the denial of Christ? And then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them and their lives are changed and they begin to change the lives of others as a result. Hopefully when the Holy Spirit came upon you, your life changed to some degree and there's something burning inside of you to share Christ with others. 
My prayer this morning is because of the name of Jesus and the faith you have put into him, that your life would make a difference as God brings other people into your life. Even as we enter a a different schedule for the summer beginning next week, the opportunities we have to invest, number one, in our family, number two, in others, to be able to continue to meet as God's people, gather, have people over your home. That's one of the ideas of our summer schedule. Pour into the lives of others. Continue with meetings. Talk with your community group if you're having a celebration this Wednesday night. Hey, let's select some times that we can get together and invite the community in as well. Listen, we are a healthy church, a topic we've been studying for some time, and this is how it is shown, looking at opportunities that we can make a difference in the lives around us, just as someone did for our lives. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are your church, and we are your people. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would direct our minds this morning, perhaps even redirect our minds, and reveal to us any priorities that are not your will for our lives. Father, we ask for so many that are hurting today that you would minister in their lives and give them grace. Father, it would be our heart's desire without limited understanding that they would be healed, encouraged, strengthened, if that would be your will. But help us today, Lord, glorify you in everything that's said. And we lift these things up before your precious name. Amen. So let us, first of all, look at the results of the miracle, because now a crowd has gathered, and great opportunities are available. A man has been healed. Think about what's going on in their minds. For years, they have watched this man's family and friends carry him to the gate, place him there, and beg for money. That was his job. That was his light lot in life. And if he was going to have his needs met, it was going to be a result of people giving him something that would help him get through the needs he had. How difficult that must have been for his entire life, depending on others. No welfare system in place. He's over 40 years old, according to the text. And we understand this was the way he was all his life. How difficult is that? How does that line up with what you're experiencing today? So, as he had asked so many others, he asked Peter and John for help. Peter's response, as you know, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he does. But he doesn't just walk as amazing as that would be. The Bible says, he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Oh, my goodness. The book of Acts gives us a picture of God working in the early church and making a difference in the lives of others that would point people to him. Three things happened as a result of his healing that are worth noting. And the first is the man was filled with joy. He was filled with joy. But it doesn't just walk. The Bible says he jumped up. He jumped up and he was leaping and praising God. 
And I think that in part is to remind us this wasn't a partial healing. He was completely healed and he was invigorated. He jumped up and suddenly there's a spirit in him that he just wants to rejoice. Jumping up and down. I've, I've never seen someone come to church and jump up and down and yell. Well, sometimes Dick Reed does. But besides him, I think for the most part, we would call security if we saw that. But this man was filled with joy and rejoicing. The second thing that happens, of course, is that he praised God. How appropriate. Not to praise men. He didn't look at Peter and John and say, oh, wow, look what you did. He praised the Lord. I love when a new convert comes to the Savior and is so excited what God has done in his life. He can't stay silent, nor should he. He's excited of the things that God has done in his life. One of the first things you should ask a new convert if you have the opportunity to share Christ with them and they get saved, after they have the assurance of their salvation, ask them this. So who else do you know that needs what you have? You'll be surprised at the opportunities that come about even as a young Christian is able to begin to share what God has done in their life and see others saved as well. Third, the man was now a testimony to all the people that saw him. So much so that they were filled with wonder and amazement. They had known this man for years They had seen all that had taken place in his life. And and I would contend, and I think you would agree, there's nothing more impressive than a changed life. People look and say, wow, what happened to him? I worked on Wall Street, and and I had a previous life that, that people knew. I was devious. I was a sinner. I was into a lot of things that I shouldn't have been. And suddenly I get saved And I'm working on the trading floor with hundreds of people passing me and talking with me. I was a market maker. And so I had a lot of contact with people. But in the slow moments, I would take out my little New Testament and begin reading. And people would come up to me one by one and say, I don't get it. And we have an opportunity at times like that to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. A changed life makes all the difference in the world. And when the temple service was over here, Peter and John left the temple proper, and they made their way to Solomon's porch. And there the healed man clung to them, not sure probably what to expect, but there again, no doubt, praising God, continuing in his outburst of praise. And the question had to be asked, how is this man healed? How is all of this possible? Well, it's possible because of the name of Jesus and faith in him. Like the thief on the cross, the beggar did not have to have a full understanding of the resurrection. He didn't have to have all his theology in order. He just needed to understand the source of the power was Jesus Christ, and faith in him can make you whole. And people were amazed. Well, Peter wanted them to understand what the source of this healing was. And I love the way Luke records this healing took place in the name of Jesus. And as Peter's preaching, I think that he is emulating the Savior. He learned well. He may have had some shortcomings, but he learned well to do what Jesus did. Think about Jesus in Luke 13, 34, when he reveals his heart. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the ones who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her. 
how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers abroad under her wings, but you were not willing. Peter wanted to take opportunity to make a difference in their lives. And and Luke uses this phrase uh, not only here, but 33 more times in the book of Acts. It's an important phrase. Jesus is the source of this healing. And as a result of this healing, a crowd was interested to know what was taking place. Can you put yourself in their place? You've observed someone get saved and you say, wow, look what's happening in their lives. What has caused this to happen? For this beggar man being carried every day for years and years and years, and he's walking around praising God, jumping up and down, rejoicing in what God has done. It raises those questions. So Peter preached the gospel. And the message of the gospel of this miracle really, while being profound in delivery, is very simple. It's a good news because it is the message that God, through Jesus Christ, did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. We describe the good news so people can understand it as the death of Jesus on the cross. And then being buried in a borrowed tomb. And then we describe the resurrection. Because we want people to understand we do not believe that he was kind of half dead and came back to life in the tomb. No. When you think of all the incidences that happened, the fact that he uh, was nailed to a cross. The fact that they stuck a sword in his side. And from when I read about that, that indicates that... uh, Fluids came from the heart and the system. Blood mingled with other things in our body. No, he was dead. We don't believe he came back to life uh, naturally. And we don't believe someone stole the body, do we? We believe by the power of God, Jesus was raised. And we believe that stone wasn't rolled away until the Holy Spirit, that angel, came and moved it. So these are good things to tell others. How is that possible? He's God. That's how it's possible. And his power is the same today as it was then and as it will be in eternity. Whatever you're facing today, you can turn to Jesus and he can meet that need. The crowd was so amazed, they desired that explanation. And Peter was very willing to give them one. Like Paul Peter was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews that were standing before Peter, and to the Gentiles and Greeks as well. And so Peter revealed to them that source of power. And those in the crowd, no doubt, were looking at Peter and John and wondering, had they done this? Are they so holy that they can do something like this? But no, they revealed to him The name of Jesus Christ and faith in him had done this miracle. And I love the way Peter addresses their need. He says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power and godliness we had made this man walk? Now note what he says. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he, when he was determined to let him go. Oh, you wouldn't let that happen. 
you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in that name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness and presence of you all. And so Peter appeals to that common religious heritage that they have when he says, the God of our fathers. And he goes on to address their perversity and denying Christ. Do you realize what you did in order to gain your end? What you've done is let a murderer be turned loose. And you have let the prince of life die. What a paradox that is. But I love the fact that Peter is really um, following what Scripture does. What does it do? It's doctrine, and he shared that with them. It's reproof, and he was doing that. It was instruction in righteousness, and it was his desire that these people would respond to the gospel. And so Peter identifies Jesus by his messianic names to further persuade his audience. Verse 13, he calls him his servant Jesus. That's the same designation as in Isaiah 42.1, where it says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. When Peter was, was naming the names of Jesus, he was pointing his audience to the references of Scripture that identified him as well. He then calls him in verse 14, the Holy One, as in Psalm 1610. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In Isaiah 31.1, he says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Quite an indictment he was making them identify with. He also called him the just or righteous one, and this was often used to describe the Messiah, as in Isaiah 53, 11. He says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Wow, that's huge. Verse 15, he called him the prince of life. And his resurrection, of course, qualified him for that title. He is the giver of life. And if you're experiencing life today, spiritually, it's because of Jesus Christ. So Peter had answered their original question. How was this lame man healed? And Peter's answer, of course, was through the faith in the name of the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth who had suffered and died as the prophets had predicted he would. Just like, once again, his Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, in Luke 24, listen to the way Jesus approached those that followed and listened. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And listen, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Just as Peter was doing here, he was pointing them to the scripture and asking God to work in their life. But Peter certainly did more than that. 
Not only did he share information with them, but he was able to as well talk to them about their way of living and what they needed to do in their lives. And so I think as, as we kind of uh, bring this to some conclusion, I want you to think of what Jesus did on our behalf. I want you to think about what Peter is doing here and how he's pointing to the importance of knowing Jesus. And in that name, he's healing and power for whatever you're going through today. Of course, next week, this, this sermon will continue, and you'll hear more, more than likely, about the solution of the problem that they had. But as for me, I, I want to point us to the idea of how has the study of Acts changed our lives, if it has at all. I, I am always concerned about speaking before a group of people and not giving them an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Or, for that matter, how, how Christ has changed us. Early, early on in my study of Scripture, when I heard the story of D.L. Moody, it always impressed me as, as he spoke to his Chicago church and brought a message of who Jesus was. And then what will you do with Jesus? And that was supposed to be a two-part series with a week in between. And historically, the great Chicago fire took place in that week. And he regretted the rest of his life, I'm told, the fact that many in his congregation perished as a result of that fire. And so early on, I determined in my life, when I speak to anyone or anywhere, I want to get, give people that opportunity to respond to what the message is. And so the message here is really, are you excited about that holy or righteous one? Sometimes we grow a little bit comfortable and a little bit old in things that happen and what they mean to us. But do you spend time in prayer with God just thanking him for who he is and what he is doing in your life? Do you know without a doubt that if today you died, you'd be in the presence of the Messiah? Do you have that assurance? That's our hope, of course. That's our prayer that you can call upon him right now. And hopefully you know the Savior, but it's not unusual in a crowd this big to have someone just not sure. Or maybe you're 100% sure, no. I don't know the Savior. Today you could call upon him and make him your Messiah. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, there's a simple gospel. You will be saved. With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I love verse 13 in Romans chapter 10. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That happened to me 44 years ago. Gospel presented. I realized my need as a sinner had a debt to be paid. And I'm so thankful that it was explained to me that the gift of salvation is Jesus Christ. It made a difference in my life immediately. I went back to that trading floor 
where I worked and spent time, and for the next six years, took opportunity to tell others about the Savior. Began a Bible study, and as I was learning as a new Christian, just sharing them step by step in a one-by-one study, people got saved, people were coming to Christ. We started the prayer meeting, and, and it just grew from what God was doing in my heart to hundreds really until the exchange moved into the New York Stock Exchange, that prayer meetings and Bible studies were were taking place. Why? Because Jesus made a difference in my life and in my heart. And as a heaven-bound Christian, I want to take as many with me as I can. And it's not because of who I am or what I say. It's because of the name of Jesus and the faith that people can put into his name. What opportunities are you taking? Do you tell others about him? Perhaps you're shy and and you feel uncomfortable talking to people about religion. That may be the problem in and of itself because we don't talk about religion when it comes to the Savior. We talk about a relationship. And tracks today are so well said that at the very least, you can say, hey, when you have a moment, read this. It's made all the difference in my life. And ask God to use it for the good of individuals. You pass people daily that don't know the Savior. Whatever stage of life you're in, whatever you do, every day, you're coming across people that are headed to hell. And if you haven't lately considered what hell is all about, we're, we're doing a series on eternity in my class. And as difficult as the message on hell was, it was so important to recognize it's a place we don't want anybody to go. And it should burden our hearts because we all have lost family members. And sometimes we lose hope because they don't seem interested in the gospel any longer. My friends, there is hope in the name of Jesus and people placing their faith in him. Don't give up. Let God use you because there are people in your life that none of us know on staff. And the idea that we're going to get it done on our own is not biblical. And it's not going to work. Ask God to help you, especially as we move into these summer months. People are in parks, people all around. When we used to teach... um, evangelism explosion, we would meet and go out and we would bring trainees with us. And we would think, where are people going to be where you would have a captured audience? You know, one of our favorite, as we called it, watering holes was? Laundromats. (laughs) Did you ever go to a laundromat? Now, not many of us would, but there are people that do. And you know what they're doing? They're sitting in a laundromat watching their clothes go around and around. (laughs) And they oftentimes are very open to conversation. And you'd be surprised how God can bring about a gospel conversation when you're willing to do so. When you're excited about what God has done in your life, you would be surprised of what it can do. And so, for us who are saved, I encourage you, uh, be proactive in looking for souls that need Christ. And don't give up on family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. Pray for them, but do something that brings the Savior before them once again. Invite them to church. Give them a book. I just purchased two books 
for family members that I want to know that I love them and I'm concerned for any doubts they have in their lives about eternity, keep at it. And for you who are going through difficulties and you're wondering, can I get past this? What if God has something better than healing you? What if the circumstances you're in, God says, you know what? I want to use that circumstance for your good and for my glory. Would you be like Paul when he says, therefore, I most gladly boast in my infirmities. Boast, not moan, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Are you willing to be strong in those times of weakness because Christ's power is upon you? And I know, I know how difficult it is for so many of you. If your need is known, I'm praying for you. Our pastoral team is praying for you. It would be in our limited knowledge that God removes that thorn in your flesh. That God takes that circumstances away. But maybe he has something better for you. I hate what Sarah Brown is going through physically. And when you think of Dan and Sarah, pray for them. She's continuing to get treatment. A young mother with children home and a new baby fighting for life with chemo. I hate that. And I pray so earnestly. But I love their response. Because everyone who looks at them says, oh my, what a spirit you have and what a trust you have in Christ. How is that possible? Let me tell you about Jesus. Those opportunities that we have, folks, and no matter what you're going through today, whatever the need is, yes, give it to the Lord. And if we can help, please don't hesitate. We're here. We can meet with you. We can pray with you. We can do whatever we can do. It is my desire uh, through the word today that you can be strong indeed in the name of Jesus. Today we'll close out with a hymn, Lord, I need you. And the truth is, that is a need that we all have. And I'm going to pray, and Caleb will come and and lead us in that hymn. But whatever your need is today, would you lift it up to the Lord? If it is salvation and you're just not sure, nail it today. Why not settle eternity right here and right now? And then just commit yourself to God and what he has in the days ahead. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for... Lord, just the example of Peter's heart and desire, as his Savior was, to see others saved. And, Lord, you worked in a mighty way. And we know your spirit was working in his life. And, Lord, the name of Jesus and faith in him healed this man. That, Lord, through this miracle, others would come to know you, and so many did. Father, we see a healthy church here. And it's so easy for us to veer to the left even in a changed schedule, how that, Lord, may affect our thinking. But, Lord, you do not change. And we ask that you would work within our hearts and lives and that, Lord, we would make that difference in others. We love you today. Would you bless our time of meditation in Jesus' name. Amen.